The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Feng Shui with Christina Hollinger. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for being here with me today. It's always a joy to sit down and talk with you. Today's episode is such a good one. It's with my now friend, David G. He is the master of meditation. And I first met him through Hay House Radio. I remember driving down Lakeshore Drive and listening to David G talk about meditation and also guide his listeners through meditation practices. And it brought me such deep peace to listen to his episodes while driving in traffic on Lakeshore Drive. I can like see it now. I see Soldier Field on my right, the high rises on the left. I'm driving in from my teaching job. All the energy around me was just so high and vibrant as it always is when you're in a city. And listening to David G and learning how to become more mindful and just take a few deep breaths helped me stay grounded. So I appreciate David G for that. And since then, I've had the opportunity to sit down and talk with him numerous times. I can now call him a friend. He can now call me the feng shui queen of his life. (laughs) He has given me that name. So I will wear that badge of honor. And I just think you're really going to enjoy this episode and you're going to have so much fun listening to it. And it's going to bring you peace as well, because of course, He will guide you through a short breathing exercise, and I guarantee you will leave today's episode feeling more at peace and more grounded, which is what we all need right now. Before I do that, before I introduce you to him and read his bio, I wanted to shout out, it's the last call to join me on the Windy City Experience, April 30th right here in Chicago, Ukrainian village. It's right next to Bucktown. If you're not super familiar with all the neighborhoods, um, Ukrainian village is actually where I did the feng shui space clearing for Allison Victoria on her HGTV show, windy city rehab. And just a couple blocks away from that property where I worked with Allison, we are going to be meeting at a place called the raccoon cottage. It's this beautiful home which is a historical landmark property. And the fun fact about this home is not only was it featured in Cottages and Bungalows magazine, but Ari, who also works with Alice and Victoria, did some special work on this home. 
So it kind of feels a little bit like a Windy City rehab property when you go to it. So I just know it's going to be such a, a like elevating event. It's going to be a transformational event. And the way I like to think of it is it's a catalyst for your transformation. It's just going to be the beginning because I'm going to give you your personalized portfolio. I'm going to teach you some foundational fundamental principles of feng shui that are going to help you. We're going to have some light treats and some charcuterie board delights, mix, mingle, visit. It's going to be super high vibe. And yet it's the catalyst for your change because you get to go home and you get to implement the feng shui adjustments. And then you get to observe the magic that is going to unfold and unlock for you within the next six months, within the next year. I love checking in with my clients a year after any adjustment because it's always amazing to see the transformations are unbelievable. And in fact, one of the people who are attending this event on April 30th, she already started texting me. She just tried a couple of feng shui adjustments that I recommended here on the show. And she said she's already had, she listed off three different manifestations in regards to her career because her intention was for her career. She is getting more exposure, more huge publications. And she said she is so excited for the event on April 30th because she knows that this is only the beginning. If one feng shui adjustment can manifest all the things that she hundred percent accredits to her feng shui practice, she is just, her name's Karen. She told me I could use her name. She told me I could shout it out. She even left a review on the podcast. If you want, if you're on Apple, you can look and see what she has to say about her experience of working with me so far, but She's just so psyched and I'm psyched and all the other members who are joining this small and intimate events. There's only four participants. We just opened up one seat. So if you are interested, you got to grab it now because I need to get started on working on your portfolio. So I want to leave a little bit of cushion of time to make sure that everyone gets everything that they need. So let's get that in order. Check out the show notes or go to christinahollinger.com if you want to snap that last spot for the Windy City experience. Okay, without further ado, let me read David G's bio for you. And let me just tell you, he's got amazing, an amazing story to share with you today. And so I'm going to share a little bit about him, but he's going to tell the story better than anyone else. After a 20-year career in business, finance, and mergers and acquisitions, David G. began a new journey to wholeness, apprenticing for a decade under Dr. Deepak Chopra and David Simone, serving as the Chopra Center COO, lead educator, and then as the first dean of the Chopra Center University, where he trained more than 300,000 people to meditate, and certified more than 2,500 meditation teachers. David G. has since left the Chopra Center to teach the practical integration of stress management, mindful performance, meditation, and conscious choice-making 
into our real world, modern day experiences. For more than 15 years, David G has helped thousands of people around the world to perform at higher levels and make better decisions, sleep better, enhance their relationships, experience abundance, and live purpose-driven lives. I have to tell you, David G is one of my most favorite people in the whole planet. I said to him on the show, I wish we could clone him. He needs to teach everyone how to meditate. Imagine what kind of world we would have if we were all able to work with David G. It's just incredible. So enjoy this episode. I look forward to hearing from you, getting your DMs. And I always love getting messages from you that you're enjoying this podcast and it's helping you to feel more inspired, uplifted, confident, and peaceful. So wishing you so much abundance. Enjoy this episode. Hi, David G. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. How are you today? I'm amazing. Thank you. Thank you for asking. And thanks for inviting me to be a part of your magnificent world. Well, thank you. I always feel, I've talked to you a few times and I always feel a little silly because to be honest, I started listening to your show on Hay House Radio, which you had a show for like eight years. And so it just feels weird for me to be interviewing you because you are the ultimate radio host. So I feel like you should be the one leading this. Well, thank you. It's very, it's very kind of you, but now you have a show and I don't. So it's perfect. Oh, well, passing the torch. I wish everyone could see you too. You're sitting outside in beautiful nature. Can you tell us where you're coming from? I'm coming from uh, Carlsbad, California, the sweet spot of the universe. I'm about 40 miles north of Mexico, about 115 miles south of LA, um, five miles from sweet mama O, the Pacific Ocean. I'm breathing ocean air right now. And I'm about 3,000 miles from New York City, which is where I grew up. So I'm in that perfect sweet spot. <laughs> 3,000 miles away from New York City. <laughs> um, you know what? You're also pretty close. I'm holding up his book. Um, I'm, I've started reading Distressifying, and I highly recommend it to everyone. Everyone knows, most of the, my listeners know that I've been working in education now for 15 years, and I bought a lot of my colleagues the book Distressifying. I think we all need it right now more than ever. Um, and you published with, did you publish with Hay House, David? Because isn't, isn't the Hay House central, like around where you live? Uh, well, that was the beauty of having a radio show at Hay House. Uh, it's literally eight minutes from where I, where I lived um, during that. Now it's about 10, 10 minutes away from me. Uh, but yeah, um, Hay House uh, published um, my first three books and um, I did a couple of uh, courses with them as well. And Hay House had all these events traveling around the world um, and, uh, Louise Hay fell in love with Peaches, the Buddha princess, my, um, my mindful Morky, my LA rescue. And, uh, that's how I got to really meet and, and fall in love with, uh, with Wayne Dyer and, uh, and Louise and John Holland and so many other people who, who came through the Hay House world. And they were all so loving and welcoming and, uh, 
yeah, I was I was actually a little, you know, sad when they said, oh, by the way, we're discontinuing all of our radio shows. And I was like, no, like we're doing podcasts now. And I'm like, uh, okay, whatever. Um, oh, I remember listening to your radio show and I could see how many people were listening at the live event. And, uh, you know, fun fact, I don't know if I told you this, David G, but um, Luis and I have the same birthday, October mm. 8th. <laughs> so I feel like she's one of my guardian angels now. And I'd like to call in Wayne Dyer. I think that he could be a guide for all of us as well. So I love that. It's a magnificent world that Louise Hay created. You know, um, Louise Hay created Hay House because she wrote a book. You can heal your body and no one would publish it. And she went around and around and around and around and, around and no one would publish it. And she said, okay, I'll not just self-publish, but I'll create a publishing company. Um, and, you know, so she did it first. She was that archetype of when, when the door closes or when someone says no, it's like, well, that's just no for you, but it's not no for me. And so what a, what a powerful um, expression of, of this timeless wisdom she is. So sending you big love, Louise, and I know you're showering it down on us as well. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I don't know if you knew this, but I self-published my book through Balboa Press, a division of Hay House after going to right. the Hay House Writers Workshop. So yeah, I feel very connected to, to all of it. Um, so David, I really wanted to, I've heard this story before, but I know many of the listeners have not heard it and it just does not get old to me. I would love to hear how you, your story and your journey from essentially working in corporate America, working at the Twin Towers in New York City to becoming the master of meditation that you are now. And I know there's even a, a little bit of a backstory to before you even started in the corporate world, but would you mind telling that story again? <laughs> sure. Um, thank you for asking, because I think this is really everybody's story in some way. Um, but I started meditating Oh, there's a plane flying overhead right now. And whenever a plane, you know, I, I, I'm sitting in a tree house. That's where I actually spend all my time, sitting in my tree house. Uh, and you can see it, but our listeners can't necessarily see it. But I'm also in a, um, in a flight path. And so every once in a while, a plane flies overhead. And whenever a plane's flying overhead, I just imagine that they're just showering me with hearts. I used to be like irritated and annoyed, like another plane. And now it's like, oh my God, they're, they're, they're sending love to me. They're, just throwing hearts out the window and so you and i christine are being you know showered um <laughs> with hearts um so yeah here's here's sort of you know the um the backstory in somewhat of a nutshell i started meditating when i was in college uh it was an experimental asian studies course uh there were 12 of us we um we would sit in a circle in this in this class on the floor our Zen master would stand in the corner. Um, we were actually instructed when, when we meditated to raise our hand when we had a thought come into our awareness. And when we raised our hand, in his hand, he carried an 18 inch bamboo stick known as a keisaku. And we would raise our hand and he would come over and thwack us on the back. And it, it hurt, he, he would like actually hit us when we had a thought. So um, over the, the next several weeks, I found myself, uh, I'm having a thought, but I don't feel like getting hit. So I think I won't raise my hand. And when you, you know, when you 
start lying to your Zen master. It's time to move on. So I dropped that class. I left that world. I loved what meditation was doing for me. It was really helping me connect um, to the stillness and the silence that rested within. And so I left there and I started, you know, candle gazing. And then I started practicing mindfulness and then uh, Vipassana and mantra and tantra and body scans and yoga and all these other techniques to help connect me to that place, which was so, so beautiful. Um, even chocolate tasting meditation, which is still one of my favorites these days. And um, as the years went on, I was really, you know, had my practice really grounded. But then I got involved in, in the corporate world. And I started, you know, getting deeper and deeper involved in, in the corporate world, in the world of finance. And as I uh, committed myself more deeply to the corporate rat race, um, I really started letting my meditation practice slip away. And I realized I had traded in my early morning meditation for an early morning train ride to the World Trade Center. And I traded in my evening meditation for a glass of scotch. And like that, meditation was gone from my life. But I noticed also what was gone from my life was balance. And so I was working, I was feeling pretty unfulfilled. I was working, you know, just like leaning in every single day, 70 hour weeks, working on the weekends, um, always on call. And it wasn't really very fulfilling work. Um, and I was feeling empty. I was feeling sort of out of balance and empty. The people in my life were not necessarily loving hanging out with me because I was pretty much a jerk um, during this, <laughs> during that time. And um, in the wake of 9-11, as I was walking past a row of cardboard boxes that people were living in, in southern Manhattan, um, I walked past this particular box and a hand reached out and grabbed my pant leg. Uh, this face peered up at me with these blue crystalline eyes. And this guy just like pulled me in and said, what's going to be on your tombstone? And we had what I you know, referred to as a butterfly moment where everything stopped. There was no sound of traffic. There was no sound of people. I wasn't aware of any of those things. It was me and him in this, in this, in this gaze, this lock of energy going back and forth. It felt like hours. It was probably a couple of minutes. Uh, we actually transmitted words back and forth to each other, even though neither one of us was moving our lips. I know, roll your eyes, totally cooked out. But um, when someone says to you, what's going to be on your tombstone, when someone out of the blue, you know, asks you the deepest question, you know, why are you here? And what's your meaning? And who are you? And what have you come here to do? Like all that stuff. And at a time when I was feeling so so unfulfilled and it was in the wake of 9-11 my heart was so damaged and wounded um he ultimately released his grip i staggered away there were tears streaming down my eyes um i could barely catch my breath i was hyperventilating my heart was palpitating uh, my knees were weak i staggered over to the steps of an apartment building just a, maybe 20 feet away and just sat there and sobbed and it was probably, you know, the most profound moment of, of my life, or certainly the first of many butterfly moments since that, since that moment. Um, but I went home that night and I shared um, with my wife what had just got, what had happened. And she was like, you need to quit that job. You need to quit that job. 
Um, and you need to like reconnect with what matters to you in your life. And so there's this meditation retreat in Oxford, England, being hosted by Deepak Chopra. I had never heard of Deepak Chopra before. Um, and um, there were supposed to be 3,000 people at it, but uh, this was shortly after 9-11, so not a lot of flights going anywhere, and nobody was flying. Everybody was afraid to fly. Um, but I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. I'm fairly obedient. I quit my job and um, headed off to, uh, to Oxford to this retreat. There weren't 3,000 people. There were 50. And so it was pretty intimate, um, a, a seven-day retreat. And on the third day of us just meditating every day, every morning, every afternoon, throughout the day, and really connecting to that. For the first time in maybe 20 years, I suddenly felt joy. I had been devoid of joy, and um, you know, my heart was hurting for the, for the people who died on 9-11. My heart was hurting because I was living an unfulfilled life. Uh, my heart was hurting because I was pretty much a jerk. And my heart was hurting because there was this, this depth of, of of lack of fulfillment and lack of like, why am I here? What, what am I doing? And so uh, it was like my heart had been this, this white linen cloth that had been dipped in black India ink. And it was so black, it was so dark. The inside of me, you know, so much pain, so much, the depth of my wound was, was unfathomable. And, um, but every time I meditated, it was like draping that cloth through like a rushing stream and cleaning it and washing it. And that was like this lightening of my load. And um, on the, when the meditation retreat was over, I headed off to India in search of the guru, in search of answers, in search of meaning. So I you know, traveled to India, got a, well, I was in England. I got a, uh, uh, a visa for six months. And I traveled high and low, went to uh, Dharamsala to visit His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. He wasn't there that day or that week and headed down south, you know, to the very, very tip um, of India. I traveled to temples and bathed in the Ganges and practiced yoga and meditated every day and talked to these roadside rishis for, for guidance, you know, all in search of the guru. And after about five and a half months of my wandering, it was sort of like my eat, pray, love story without the without the eating and the love just a lot of prayer <laughs> and um, I was laying in a cashew forest uh, in a hammock in a cashew forest in Kerala southern India reading the Bhagavad Gita which I had read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times but uh, I was just like had obviously never never really taken this one line in and I was reading chapter 2 verse 48 and in that moment um, and for those of you who don't know what the Bhagavad Gita is, it's this ancient Vedic text. It's maybe 2,300 years old. And it's the story of Arjuna, the great warrior who's at a crossroads in his life. Doesn't know what to do. The greatest warrior of all time, but doesn't want a warrior anymore. Doesn't know how to move through life. Doesn't know what steps to take. Uh, that may be for any of us who feel right now that we may be at a crossroads in our life. We're at a fork in the road. You know, should I stay or should I go? What should I do? What's my... What's the choice that I should make? Wow. Sirening on the truth. How yeah. about that? The universe wants us to really pay attention to this right now. Yeah. Like if you, if you had been like dozing off, that. You <laughs> it's your wake up call. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> That's perfect. That's great. So I'm reading chapter two, verse 48, which, which where Arjuna, the great warrior, says to God, this is the original conversations with God. We've heard of Neil Donald Walsh's version. This was actually the first one, you know, before Jesus, before anything. And so Arjuna says, how am I supposed to live my life? How am I supposed to walk through the world? And God, Krishna, replies to him, yoga sta kuru karmani. Like that hit me like a lightning bolt in that moment because I was so at a crossroads. I was so you know, at that fork in the road. And suddenly it's like, oh, that's how the divine is telling the greatest person at the crossroads how to, how to live their life. Yoga sta kuru karmani. Yoga sta, establish yourself in the present moment. Essentially, get still. Kuru karmani, then perform action. And it, honestly, it hit me like a lightning bolt. It was like, that's it. That's it. That's my aha moment. So I raced home back to New York. Um, as if you could race home. I raced to the bus station and waited 20 hours for a bus to pick me up. Then the bus took 40 hours to get me to Mumbai airport. Then I waited in the airport for 20 hours. Then it took me 20 hours to fly home. So that was racing. Um, but I raced home and I said, that's how I want to live my life. Yoga Stakuru Karmani, establishing myself in the present moment and then performing action. And after about five weeks, a bunch of my friends, I'd been gone for a while and a bunch of my friends um, came to my house for, you know, sort of like an intervention. And they were like, dude, all you do is sit around and meditate. I was like, I know, isn't it amazing? And they're like, uh, no, it's a little weird because you're just doing the yoga style part. You're not doing the Kuru Karmani. You're just being present, but you're not doing anything with that. And I was like, yeah, well, feels really good. It's healing me. It feels great inside. It's bringing clarity to me. And they were like, well, you should probably teach other people to meditate. And I was like, oh, come on. I don't really care about anyone else's meditation. You know, I'm from New York, from Queens. I don't care about anyone else's meditation. They said, yeah, but if you really want to learn it, learn to teach it. And again, I'm fairly obedient. And they said, you know, your friend Deepak, he's out in California. He's got like a center there where you could learn to, to meditate. So I was like, okay. Picked up, headed out to California came to the, the, the first you know, course in the, you know, the first component. There were supposed to be, you know, I don't know, 500 people and there were 30. And I was like, what's going on here? Every time I go to one of, like, one of these events, there's supposed to be tons of people and there's no one here. And they said, well, since 9-11, we have been struggling. You know, no one's coming out here. And I said, well, that's what I did in my past life. You know, not a thousand years ago, but you know, just like five years ago. I helped companies sort of like get get their act together and you know and, and elevate, and they're like, okay, um, would you like to um, would you like to be our COO and and see if you can make that happen here? And I was like, yeah, done. So I never went home. Mm -hmm. um, I I started working on that day. It was July fourteenth, Bastille Day, which is Liberation Day, July fourteenth, two thousand three. It was a while ago. And so began working there, got certified during that process, um, became the lead educator. Um, so started teaching meditation every single day. And so I got to like do my own practice and share it with others. And then I became the Dean of Chopra Center University. And 
my life totally transformed. I got to travel the world with Deepak and his partner, David Simon. I got to teach meditation to literally hundreds of thousands of people over that period of time. I got to train people in Ayurveda and yoga and meditation. I got certified in all of those. And um, I met people like Wayne Dyer. I had an office right across from Deepak's. And when, when luminaries would come to visit Deepak Chopra, so that they wouldn't have to sit in the hallway, they would come into my office because it was it was private. So, you know, Wayne sat in there and Domingo Ruiz and, you know, I got to, I just got to meet so many amazing people just as be in the waiting room <laughs> for Deepak mm-hmm. Chopra. And they all met Peaches the Buddha Princess and they all got to like sit there petting my dog and talking to me about life. And, you know, they were pretty relaxed. So we had some pretty intimate and deep conversations. It was really you know, beautiful. Um, but after 10 years, I figured, you know what, let me see if I can head out on my own. Let me see if I can travel, you know, teach in hospitals, teach in schools, um, teach uh, to members of the military. And so opportunities started opening up for me. 2012, I left that world, um, began doing my own thing, um, created my own uh, meditation teacher training. Um, as of now, we have over 500 people have been certified um, through that process. And, you know, I really got to learn so much about meditation by teaching so many people and and getting their feedback, what worked, what doesn't work, what's a best practice, what's a worst practice? How can I really make it stick? Uh, How can I make it better? Everybody likes a different type of access point. How can I teach so many different types of meditation so that people find their groove in that process? And um, then I started, you know, since then I've, you know, written a bunch of books and um, created my mind shift um, community, which is, um, we're, we're a little over a thousand strong right now. That's a, that's a community where I, where I share and do regular webinars and teachings. And um, Christina, you created a video for that community as well on feng shui. So there's so many different aspects. You can literally click on the app and then just look, you have a variety, hundreds of meditations that you can just tune into being part of the mind shift membership. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of like my, my curated vault, you know, I've recorded about 1400 meditations and I've got about, you know, three, 400 in there um, that are like remastered and my favorite and on all different topics from grief to abundance to, uh, living your best life, to healing your heart, to getting motivated, to attention and intention and, you know, all sorts of things along those lines. But this is what I do now. Um, it just unfolded, I guess, about um, nine years ago that I started working with um, members of the um, of law enforcement and I started working with cops to be um, yoga staff. Kuru Karmani, establishing themselves in the present moment before you perform action. And so teaching them to de-escalate and teaching them to, to be a little calmer under stress and under pressure. And of course, I do that you know, with, with people in the corporate world as well. And that's really why I wrote De-Stressifying, because I figure everybody on the planet, 7.6 billion people have you know, stress in some way and um, why not bring this into our lives why not really amp up the tools to help us de-stressify proactively as well as in the moment so that's my my long oh and here's the secret so I already blew up my life 
to find my answers. No one else needs to do that. I've already done that heavy lifting for you. No one needs to, you know, quit their job and head off to India. If you want to do that, sure, fine. But I did it from a point of pain. And I think that we can all, wherever we are, whatever's going on, we can just yoga stock guru karmani. We can get still. We can really get reflective rather than reflexive. We can learn to sleep better at night, learn to be a little more patient, be the calm amidst the chaos, make better decisions. And I think it's all possible through that pathway of, of meditation. I agree with you. I think when you first opened up your story, you said, my story is your story. It's everybody's story. And as you're speaking, I felt that. I felt that, first of all, your awakening, so to speak, was during a time after a national tragedy in the U.S., after 9-11. And it's like, here we are again, trying to pick up our feet after a pandemic. You know, there's possibilities of more war happening around our world. It's the world continues to have these types of trials and tribulations. And even if there wasn't those issues, we all have our own personal battles going on within us. And we ask these questions, who am I? Why am I here? Just like that, that man did in the street. And I don't mean to, uh, I don't know if this connects, but I really wanted to read one of my favorite quotes that you reference a lot. And I was hoping you could help help us understand what this means. In chapter one of Distressifying, it opens up with your the quote by Lao Tzu. Do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? Could you break that down for us and what, what that quote really means for us? Yeah, that is such a, a mic drop line by Lao Tzu. That's like, it's, it's mm -hmm. one of my favorite, you know, um, queries that we can ask ourselves. So we find ourselves in a fairly intense situation. Maybe that's an interaction with another person. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's a dinner table conversation. Maybe it's um, a promotion that you're waiting for. Maybe it's, you know, something's going on in your life and it's creating this this intense ripple. And we need to ask ourselves that like that deep, deep question. Are we going to make our best words, our best thoughts, and our best actions from a place of turbulence and noise and overwhelm and, and uh, suffering or trauma or sadness or, you know, or can we get still just a little bit? It goes back to that Yoga Stakuru Karmani. Can we get still just a little bit? Take a breath, even, if that's the only thing we do. And of course, I recommend many breaths. But if we only, if we're like, no, I'm really busy. I can only take one breath. Okay, whatever. Um, you know, can we take, you know, can we take a breath? Allow things to settle inside of us. The, so we're not filled with emotional charge. So we're not going to blurt out and, and say the thing that we know will hurt the person, but, you know, we, I want to hurt them in this moment. But after a little reflection, you realize, I don't need to say that thing right now. I don't need to like blow up things. I don't need to scorch the village. I don't need to do the knee jerk reaction. I don't have to force a response. Why don't I allow things to unfold in a more gentle way, in a more natural way? 
And, you know, there's a beautiful book, Power Versus Force. You know, so can we be powerful rather than being forceful? Can we hold the power and realize that in a certain moment, um, lopping someone's head off with a machete probably isn't the best thing that we could do right now. Um, you know, blurting out something that we know will hurt someone and perhaps sting forever, sting us both forever. Is that really the, the thing? You know, do you want to be right or do you want peace in that moment? And, you know, a lot of people that I talk to from New York say, uh, and probably Chicago too, say, oh, can I have both? Um, can I be right and have peace? Most of the time, yeah. But in some situations, no. So as Lao Tzu says, do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles, that turbulent, swishing mud? You know, mud is, is dirt and water. Can we allow that, the, that dirt, that mud, that silt, to settle to the bottom until the water is clear. And it's the second part of that, um, that quote that really speaks to me most deeply. You know, can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? This doesn't mean don't take action. This means prepare, be thoughtful, pull back the bow, aim, get clear, and then launch in. It's that, you know, yoga stuff, kuru karmani, then perform action. And, you know, we're in an environment, you know, between, you know, there's so much, you know, social injustice, um, racial injustice, there's so much, you know, unrest and turbulence in our society. We're, we're on the back end, maybe, who knows, or the middle of this global pandemic, which created shutdowns and loss of life and loss of jobs and loss of careers. Um, and, you know, we're in a, in, a, in a planet where there have been consistently, certainly for the last 20 years, at least 25 wars going on simultaneously. So there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of noise that can create a lot of situations where we are not taking stock of what's important to us, really settling down. Can you hear that? They're showering us with hearts. They're just yeah. pouring hearts over us right now. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that. I received um, that. <laughs> and so, you know, we're in a world where there's, there's a lot of stuff outside of us. Can we make the shift internally in our own heart and then allow that to ripple out into the world rather than pointing at all the things outside of us that suck or don't work or aren't nourishing to us? And we're trying to fix all these external things and, and we're not doing that that same internal work, um, being kinder to ourselves, being compassionate to ourselves, being patient with ourselves, being forgiving to ourselves. And from that space, we can then start to ripple that out to other people in our life. And that's how the world gets shifted. It's not by us complaining about some person who's 20,000 miles away, although you get to bent, everybody gets to bent, but how about like making that shift in your life being a little more patient and rather than trying to force the entire cosmos to bend to your will, maybe you figure out, well, where are things going? Uh, let me get aligned with the divine as opposed to pushing against it. Let me have the, the universe as a tailwind as opposed to me forcing and, and trying to, to, to make things happen that aren't in alignment. 
And so this is really all about Lao Tzu was, you know, brilliant, ancient Chinese philosopher who really was saying, you know, can you, can you just wait while all of your chemicals and hormones settle down, while all of your past laden grievances slow down and then make a more conscious choice right here, right now in this sacred, precious present moment. I love that. And you know, that's kind of, I see that quote too, connecting with like manifestations, right? Like how many times we try to force and push an outcome when really meditation is a huge way to get aligned and to allow this, these opportunities to appear and creative solutions to come to us. And you actually reminded me of a quote from professor Lin Yun, who is my feng shui teacher ultimately. And he would say that good luck is being prepared when opportunity presents itself. So I feel like you kind of describe that in saying, it doesn't mean don't take action. You know, your meditation practice is preparing you, or maybe some of those things that you're doing are preparing you for that opportunity. And once it arises, you will be ready, but we, sometimes we can't see the big picture. So you, you covered so much there because you also covered this, this concept of as we heal ourselves, we heal the world. And there's so much outside of our control, but when we can, can heal within, it's going to ripple out. Those are your words. So amazing. So I really wanted to I know I told David G before this interview, all the things I wanted to cover. And he's like, this sounds like it's going to be a four hour interview. I promise it won't be. I feel like if there was any main, if there's enough, if there's anything that I really wanted to make sure that we covered today, you kind of touched upon it a little bit. And this could definitely be one of our final topics that I think it's going to, um, it's so important. Um, you have been working with police departments and you said you want to also start to work with schools, which I genuinely appreciate. I think that um, being someone who works in public education, there's a lot of stress um, on, on our students and even of course on our educators as well. And I wish that you could teach 7 billion plus people on the planet, how to do this meditation practice. You, you even mentioned in your book that there's over 7 billion people on this planet and there's 7 billion different ways to reach the mountaintop throughout this lifetime. Um, I wish I could clone you, David G and just your teachings are so healing. Um, but since I can't clone you, what we can do in this moment is at least I would love to hear how you've worked with different groups and any of like the quick breathing practices, even if you wanted to share one with us before we go today so that we could all tune in and get still with you. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, it's really the most fulfilling work that I do right now, working with cops, um, because um, these are uh, core members of our society who clearly are are um, living under extreme stress and they're taught how to do all the things that we think policing is, but they're not taught how to um, manage their stress. They're not taught how to um, be the calm amidst the chaos necessarily. And they're not 
you know, taught how to heal themselves after they've seen horrible images and visions and how to, you know, to work with, with people. So really my mission has been, um, if, if we can bring, if, if we can help um, really soften the hearts of, of law enforcement. And then this, I even have done this work with, with the Marines, which you might think, really? Because I think in the hearts of Marines, really, is that what we're trying to do? Um, but yeah, I mean, after you've done too many tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan or wherever, um, yeah, you're, you, you become numb after you've been a cop for, you know, 10 years and seen people in accidents and trauma and have been involved in, you know, shootouts or, or, or human agonizing situations. Um, how do you move forward one more day um, without deadening yourself or, or just dumbing down your, all your emotions or sealing your heart in? And honestly, this can apply to, to those of us who've just had our hearts broken. You know, you thought this person was the one, they broke your heart. And now you're like, well, that's never going to happen again. I'm never going to let that happen ever again. I'm never letting anyone back in. And, you know, then we become bitter and, and we become, you know, stale. And, um, and we miss out on, on the true joy uh, uh, of life, which is living life with an open heart, living life with a certain amount of vulnerability so that you can, you know, have, have curiosity again and have innocence again, you know, for certain moments in your life. In the ancient teachings, they refer to this as beginner's mind. But how do we take someone who thinks like they're at the end of the thing and bring them back to beginner's mind? And so the work that I do with cops is to, um, I, I don't necessarily talk about the Bhagavad Gita and I don't necessarily sling Sanskrit when I'm, when I'm talking to them but I speak to them on a very secular and plain way. And that's really how I wrote de-stressifying. Um, I think there's one word of Sanskrit in there. It's on page like 170 and it's Dharma um, purpose. So, um, but that's it. Everything else made for, for us right here, right now. Um, so yeah, one of, the, one of the first things that I like to do when I'm teaching in the, in, in a, in the corporate world and when I'm teaching uh, with law enforcement, um, and I've had the privilege of, of working with Metro DC after the January 6th, you know, um, insurrection, uh, where so many cops were traumatized and damaged, wounded. No one ever thinks they're gonna have to defend the capital from the people they're serving and protecting um, and risk their lives in doing that. Um, and after then there were a bunch of cops who, who took their lives. That There hasn't been really publicity about that, but, you know, it was uh, it was really a traumatizing um, experience. So I've had the privilege to be invited to work with them on multiple occasions. Um, I work with San Francisco Police Department. I've been doing that now for for quite a while. Um, and so various police departments. And I work through an organization called Blue Courage, which is uh, current and former cops who, who are trying to. They're on a mission to restore the nobility of policing. And when that was presented to me by the Department of Justice seven years ago, I was like, I'm in count me in, let me, let me do that. Um, and that has been a fairly unpopular position over the last several years. And I've, you know, a lot of people have said, how dare you help these people? You know, these are horrible people. And I'm like, well, you know what? There are a whole bunch of horrible people who've done horrible things. And there's a profession 
that needs to have its nobility restored. And we can either, you know, hate it and, and, and point fingers at it and do all this other, you know, stuff, or we can do the work to help those people heal and, and make that shift internally, you know, reimagining um, the work that we do with police. But one of the very, very first things I like to do is essentially, uh, and we'll do it here with all of our listeners, because this will suddenly make you aware of the power of this practice, of the power of, of all that stuff. So think about something that's been bothering you or disturbing you or irritating you over the past couple of days. You know, don't go too deep. This isn't therapy, but just like something that's been, I can't believe that was supposed to happen. It didn't, or I can't believe this person was supposed to do something for me. They didn't. You know, I'm just pissed off. I'm irritated. I'm annoyed. I'm irritated. You know, ugh, ooh, angry or something like that. And now close your eyes. And through your nose, take a long, slow, deep breath in and watch that breath as it goes down deep into your belly. And when it gets there, hold it and watch it and keep holding it and keep witnessing. Keep observing that breath in your belly and now release it and watch it as it moves up your chest, through your throat, out through your nose or mouth. Keep exhaling and keep witnessing that breath. Keep exhaling, hold that breath out, watch it as it dissipates into the ether. And now breathe normally and open your eyes. And that was 16 seconds. And I can see you, Christine, I know you were playing along, but for those of you out there, if you were playing along, you were not thinking about that thing that I just asked you to think about. And I didn't say, oh, stop thinking about that irritation. I just said, close your eyes and watch your breath. So we learned three things very, very quickly from that little 16 seconds. One, we learned Oh, I can actually direct my attention to anywhere I want in any moment. It doesn't have to be fixated on this sad thought or wound or issue. It can if you want to, but we are not, you know, we get to choose our attention in every moment. Number two, that was a pattern interrupt. We call that a break in the action or a time in. And so just in 16 seconds, you are not in the past. You are not in the future. You are fully present right here right now. And the third thing we learned is the concept of object of attention. Anytime we meditate, that's what we choose, an object of our attention. Like I mentioned, it can be gazing at, at a candle. It can be repeating something over and over silently to yourself. It can be simply watching your breath. That's the secret and the core and the foundational aspect of every meditation. There's an object of attention that we are binding our attention to, and that allows us to be fully present. Will we drift away? Of course, and then we can drift back to it. And that's what we do when we meditate. We cultivate our ability to drift back to that object and ultimately cultivate our ability to witness. And that cultivates our awareness. And there's neurological studies based on this, and there's physiological studies. Meditation is healing and it's great and it actually activates your prefrontal cortex, which is your executive decision-making part of your brain, your choice-making. So you'll make better choices. You'll sleep better at night. Um, you probably have less uh, digestive disorders. You'll have less anxiety. You'll have less stress. And that was 16 seconds. Four times is a minute. 20 times is five minutes. That could be the foundation of any meditation practice that you do. And so, that one key is how I start with all cops 
and they start practicing 16 seconds. And ultimately they build that up. When I first started teaching that to Marines, we did 16 seconds once a day for a week. Then the next week we added a minute. So we meditated for a minute and 16 seconds every day for a week. Next week we added another minute and another minute. And we did that for 26 weeks until these guys were meditating for 25 minutes and 16 seconds every single day. And now years later, they're still doing it because, it, mm. because we did it incrementally. You know, it wasn't like, well, you're a high achiever, sit down and close your eyes for 30 minutes as if who, who's going to do that. But everyone has 16 seconds and everyone can build a practice just based on that teaching alone. All right. So David G, you're the ultimate teacher and you have devoted your life to service. And I am so glad you listened to your friends that day in New York city when they came over and, and gave you that intervention and said, you should probably do something with this meditation practice of yours. I'm so glad you listened to them because look at what you're doing now. You're saving lives. You're changing lives, transforming lives. Truly. Thank you. It's very kind of you. Well, it's the truth. And I'm honored that you even took time to, to speak with, with me, to speak with my listeners and I would love to hear a little bit about first a special event. I'll talk about it in the intro as well, but I think it's going to be powerful coming from you. Um, what's going on April 20th to 24th. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I mentioned earlier that, um, I live five miles from the beach. Some, um, you and I right now, and everyone listening, we're breathing ocean air right now. I don't know if you can, it's coming right straight from Hawaii or someplace like that. And so, um, so for my events, um, I rent this space. It's actually on the sand in Carlsbad. Um, and uh, we wake up, we go down to this, we walk down the stairs onto the beach. We meditate, we listen to the waves, we're breathing ocean air. We then move into, you know, um, a yoga practice on the sand. Uh, we, go, we have breakfast, we go inside and I teach heart healing and meditation techniques. The name of the event is Balance, Heal, Transform. And so I think that's the order that things pretty much have to flow. Can't really transform until you've done the balancing work and the healing work. So we will find balance, find groundedness, sort of like settle ourselves over these few days. Um, we will heal wounds, we'll make peace with the past. We'll have um, ceremonies and rituals that will reinforce that. And then we will take steps to actually shift where we are to where we'd like to be. And I think, you know, we've been all holding our breath in a certain way for the last two years. And this could be the amazing opportunity to finally learn to breathe and not hold your breath anymore. That sounds like an incredible event. I'll definitely put the direct link to that in the show notes. And then another thing I asked you about before we started recording um, was that you, I know that you do teacher trainings and I, I watch you on Instagram. It's kind of fun. I like to see when you do have your groups meditating on the beach, it looks so fulfilling, I guess you could say. And I would just like to know a little bit about your teacher training, because after I asked you, you said, actually, most of your attendees are virtual. So could you tell me a little bit about that? And the next time you're hosting, um, another round of training. 
Yeah, well, I launched the Masters of Wisdom and Meditation Teacher Training in 2013. That was the first year that we that we did it. And um, it's a deep dive, you know, it's 16 weeks. So that really gives people an opportunity to really connect. We dived into the ancient teachings of the Buddha. We, we explore the Bhagavad Gita and those ancient, that ancient Vedic wisdom. We explore modern um, teachings as well. So we explore Ram Das and uh, Don Miguel Ruiz and um, Pema Chodron and so many, we, we explore so many different types of, um, of lineages because my feeling is there's not one path. And so, you know, there's a lot of schools that like, no, this is the way. And so the Masters of Wisdom and Meditation Teacher Training really teaches you all of them. And then you get to choose how's the, you know, what's the techniques that I want to flow through the world and what are the teachings that resonate with, with me? It's a transformational journey. Um, we have webinars every single weekend. There's lessons every week. There's meditations, there's videos, um, there's a study group. You know, everyone, we, we, we partner people up in small study groups so they can continue. We have a, a Facebook group as well during that process. And uh, then in the final week, we meet up. When we meet up, we meet up in person, or you can just do that meet up virtually, but it's a whole week. So we meet up, I call it the meditation nest, which is on the sand. And so um, that's a week that we spend there, which is pretty intense. Um, and for those people who are like, I want to save on hotel and flight, and I want to do this from the comfort of my own living room, um, the following week after that, I do it the final week in a virtual way as well. Um, I'm not big on the hybrid thing. I want to be fully present with whoever that group is. So when we're in person, we're in person. And when we're, you know, virtual, we're virtual uh, with everyone. And then... Um, it's like a 280 hour meditation teacher training. And there's a lot of, you know, we dive deep into yoga as well, into the yoga philosophy and into the, the ancient teachings of Patanjali and the yoga sutras and, you know, so many other aspects um, like that. But I think, you know, by the time you're done, every single cell in your body has transformed. You know, someone told me a long time ago, Christina, and you're the feng shui expert, not me, but they told me if you change 27 things, in your life, then suddenly everything in your life changes. I don't even know if that's like some feng shui, like, you know, speed, speed thing. Um, just change 27 things. I don't know. Is that true? Or is that just a, a rumor? Yeah, actually, that is an adjustment. If you're supposed to, if you feel stuck and you feel like you need to get things moving in your life, then you move 27 objects with intention. You could even declutter 27 objects throughout your house. It's kind of up to you how you want to interpret it. But the number 27 is significant because when you add the digits two plus seven, it equals nine, which is of course a power number. It's the highest single digit and the strongest number. So that's sort of the significance behind the number 27. So thanks I love for bringing it full circle of feng shui. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So um, my feeling is that you will move 27 things with intention in your life over these 16 weeks, and you'll never be the same. You'll be a rock star meditation teacher. You'll understand the source material, the ancient wisdom teachings that cre created it, um, and you'll have a powerful personal transformation happen in you 
as well. Oh my gosh. Well, there's no doubt about that. I'm sure. And we, it's, and we, oh, kicked, that, we kicked that off um, July. Okay. So we, we start our four month journey, our 16 weeks, um, I think July 5th or 1st, something, some, that first week in July. Well, shout out to all of your former students who have become certified. You said over 500, right? Yes. Yes. Over 500 students. Shout out to all of you. You are changing the world. And I hope to get to meet some of your students someday. And I would love to be one of your students someday. I think it would be quite natural for me to step into becoming a, I don't know if I'd consider myself a master of meditation, but a meditation teacher nonetheless would be incredible. I would, I would truly love that. Um, I love speaking with you, working with you, talking to you, David G. And until we meet again. Yeah, well, thanks for um, asking such, um, such powerful and deep questions and giving me an, an opportunity um, to share uh, those with everyone. I would like to uh, put a public service announcement out there, uh, which is adopt your next pet. That's my, that's my, my PSA for today. Absolutely. I fully stand behind it. In fact, I apologize. I'm laughing because in the background of David G and his zoom, I hear birds chirping. And then in the background of my house, I hear my dog Huey, who's 12 years old. We did adopt him 11 years ago. So he was one year, one years old when we adopted him, he um, had been hit by a car and he was in therapy for his back left hip. And, you know, of course with age, it's getting a little bit harder for him to move around, but he's doing pretty well. And anyway, it's kind of funny because he's been in the background pacing back and forth. If you, if you hear any little pause moving around and then my son is homesick watching a little bit of Mario brothers. It's just, it's kind of crazy over here, but, um, <laughs> going on the beach and, and going to your retreat in April sounds really tempting right now <laughs> just to listen to the waves crashing. <laughs> I love that. So anyway, thank you everyone. And I listeners, I'll see you next week where I will help you design the life you deserve. See you next time. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber and I am an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.